Hello, and welcome back to part two with Tracy Barnett. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast, the show that calls on the champions and new contenders of the tabletop RPG arena. My name is Jeremy Gage, and I am learning about tabletop game design and publishing. If you are a budding game designer or a veteran looking for fresh musings, stay tuned as we learn about the inspirations, processes, and philosophies of professionals in the industry. Tracy, welcome to the trend section to break up the design section of the sectional podcast. Known it's, as ex- it's ex-sectional. Ex-sectional. <laughs> I, I hope I don't get banned for that. Uh, <laughs> We're both canceled now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, super good. Uh, make it a word, everyone. Hashtag Juice Nation. Uh, anyways. Let's uh, let's talk about trends. We spoke a little bit off mic about this. and I think it's something that has been a hot topic on the show for many episodes now. And by many, Mm -hmm. like five, but five of uh, 25 more. 20 percent. Yeah, that's 20 percent. We we're talking about alternative crowdfunding sources. And you were really excited to talk about sort of this um, Patreon model that Mm -hmm. you established. Now, just for me, just so that. I can set a context for what I know about Patreon. Uh, I know recently that they changed the uh, the subscription model from first of the month to anniversary models. It and hasn't that, quite changed yet. Oh, heard. They, they announced it was coming. I mm-hmm. am hoping they walk that back because heard. that is massively detrimental and will see me moving this model over to something like... Ko-Fi or coffee or whatever the, however the hell you say the name of yeah. that service. Um, there's also another uh, community owned crowdfunding monthly subscription platform that is being worked on by mm-hmm. a co-op mm-hmm. uh, where, where everyone who is on the service is a part owner of mm-hmm. the service. Oh. Um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but uh, I signed up to be let know when that, comes available because yeah, if you remember hit me with a link or something yeah like that i'll, I'll take a look notes. at my email when we when we finish this up but so yeah like any platform of any kind itch kickstarter drive through rpg patreon they're beholden to someone else's desire to make money like that's mm-hmm. part of what that's part of the problem right is that these these services that we find to use as models are great until the exact moment that they're not mm-hmm. and because they can change whatever they want to whenever they want. And mm-hmm. yeah, that may tank the service, but your options are then, well, the service is tanked and I can't use it anymore or it sucks to use and I don't want to use it anymore. And you're left without this, this thing. Mm-hmm. So any, any model of getting revenue should keep that in mind. And I think that every creator needs to have the ability to pivot very quickly and Mm -hmm. adapt to the changing landscape and have a place that you own. That is your place. Like I have a website. It's Mm -hmm. not the best, but it is a place I can always direct people to, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because one day Twitter may not be around. Discord may not be around like these, these avenues that we use aren't forever. Mm -hmm. So with all that in mind, um, I have had a Patreon in one form or another since about 2014, and I've never found a way that really works for me and 
how I like to release things and how I want to get support until now. Uh, there's a there's a podcast uh, called The Bill Buds. It is a pop cast where they review pop music. It's two people who have, are RPG adjacent. And I started listening to it, and their Patreon is pay what you can. All the reward tiers are the same. You mm-hmm. just pay what money you can afford to pay. Mm-hmm. And so you get access to their Discord and uh, all of their bonus episodes and then all this Discord-specific stuff that happens. I was like, that's a really good idea because mm-hmm. for a while, my Patreon framework was... For a dollar, you get my thanks. Huzzah. For $3, you get all the small games I release. For $3, as a separate tier, you get the bonus episodes of 15 Minutes of Fave. For $6, you get them both. For $10 or more, you're amazing. I'll figure out what to give you eventually. Yeah. Because trying to carve out time to do something extra in my workflow to give as a backer reward has always been super challenging for me. Mm -hmm. So... What I've decided to do, actually what I did, is revise everything to be pay what you can. Mm -hmm. So now I have tiers at 1, 3, 6, 10, 20, and 50, and they're Mm -hmm. all the same. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets all the small games that I've released. I went back and redid all the posts, so they're all just patrons only. Mm -hmm. So every single, literally, every single small game I have on itch is on my Patreon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You can pay a dollar a month. And have access to all of them. These are titles that I charge anywhere from three to ten dollars for mm-hmm. per PDF on itch. Mm-hmm. Because, and this feeds into what else I'm doing with with the goals. There's there are two sort of different revenue streams here, right? You release a new game like you are the dungeon that I made, brand new, hyped it up, put it out on itch, good sales, really mm-hmm. happy about that. Mm-hmm. There's diminishing returns into hyping up something that's been out. Yeah. Right. It takes um, new avenues of knowledge, like being on a podcast or being interviewed or whatever, to get new people to learn about it. So you want long tail sales. You want trickles of sales over time. That's what long tail means. But you could also just get people that give you a little bit every month as a a semi-stable amount. Right. So... My hope is to build the semi-stable amount. For those of you who aren't on camera with me, I'm doing a little graph with my hands. And then have occasional spikes of sales of individual titles that get released. Mm -hmm. And you'll always know that if you put whatever money a month you can to my Patreon, you're going to get the the games that are going to be those spikes. Mm -hmm. As a goal for my Patreon, I set a number of patrons goal. When I hit 75 patrons, I'm going to take Iron Edda, War of Metal and Bone, the biggest game I've done on my own to date, and I'm going to revise it, update it, and re-release it as a pay-what-you-can title. Interesting. Not because I want to race to the bottom. That's a different thing. This is a different type of pay-what-you-can, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so on itch, it's going to be pay-what-you-want, with a suggested price of $20 or $25. It's $20 now. I think it'll be $25 after I do the revisions. And yes, Mm -hmm. it's just for a PDF. Because what I'm doing, like, I released Ironetta five years ago now, something like that. Mm -hmm. Trying to get people hyped up for it now is wasted time. 
there's sure. no there's no point in me trying to do that. Mm-hmm. If I talk about it occasionally, I get the occasional sale from it. Fantastic, that's wonderful. If though, I effectively if I put my energy into driving people toward the Patreon, I'm trading those occasional little sales of Ironetta along the way for steady income from Patreon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As a goal, then, if I release it as pay what you want, that generates its own kind of buzz and it lowers the barrier of entry for people to get into my games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? If you want to know what it's about, if you want to see what a revised version looks like or how to revise a game that's been out for a while, you'll have a model you can look at and you can essentially do it for free if you want to. Yeah. And that has the potential, again, talking about the marketing funnel, that has the potential to take someone who casually knew about my stuff and convert them into a fan who wants to talk about my stuff. Mm -hmm. So someone picks up War of Metal and Bone for free once it's revised, and they go, this is really cool. And there's a thing in there that says, by the way, support my Patreon and get all my games. And they go, dope. And they start tossing me five bucks a month. Yeah. Wonderful. In four months, they've paid for the PDF that they got for free. Mm-hmm. And then some, right? As if 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 that keeps going, yeah. and so that's that's my new model. That's my hope. Then for other big releases that I do, like when Long Haul is ready to go, I'm going to run a Kickstarter for it because I mm-hmm. want more art in it than I can get from Pixabay and you know <laughs> manipulate myself. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm getting pretty good at doing that, but like I'm not a professional artist. Um. You know, having an external editor on it would be a great idea because it's a long game. Mm-hmm. So all those things that I just can't pay for myself. And so run a Kickstarter for it, get the big pop, get the big money from that release, right? Have it on itch, get residual sales. And then a year or two after its initial release, go, okay, guess what? When we get to 300 patrons, long haul becomes pay what you can. Yeah. Yeah. And and just con- eventually long term convert all of my titles to pay what you can that'll get a polish, a rewrite, a revision, be shinier versions of themselves and convert all of those trickle sales into steady monthly income. Yeah. yeah. That's the hope. And so far, let's see I made the change to the Patreon a week or so ago as of the recording of this and I've got seven new patrons. Amazing. And I struggled to get one patron a year prior mm, to that because, because my model was unclear, right? I didn't know how, to, well, you can do this or you can do this or you can do this tier and get this. Now I just say, look, I'm pretty dope. You know, to, 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 to quote Kanye, I'm dope and I do dope shit. So yeah, yeah. like support me however much you can get all the cool stuff that I make. And as I make more cool stuff, you're going to get it, mm-hmm. you know, and that it, there's a discord. Uh, it's not terribly active at all, but it may become over time. Right. And mm-hmm. I start building those supporters into a community. Yep. Right. And again, the funnel people who want to talk about the thing, people who want to talk about the thing. And mm-hmm. in theory, this can just keep going. It's actually, it's not unchecked capitalistic growth. It's a sustainable model where I control the pace of all the releases Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and where maybe a month or two, like there's a baby coming. There's going to be some time when I'm not releasing anything Mm -hmm. and that's okay. 
you know, maybe things dwindle a little bit, but I'm guaranteed X amount of money every month from, from that, you know, it's, it's a way that I can convert all of my, I I can narrow my focus in ways that are effective, right? I'm not, I'm not doing a shotgun. I'm saying all of what I do is over here. Mm -hmm. Here is how you can help me do more of it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. also here is what you get if you help me convince more people to support everybody benefits. I think, uh, I literally wrote down might literally steal idea. hundred percent. Go for it, please. I, I hope that any creator who struggles with trying to figure out what to do to get people interested, cribs this model and does it Mm -hmm. because one of the things that is frustrating is the wrong word, but everyone's brains are different, right? Everyone Mm -hmm. handles pressures of things differently. I love running Kickstarters. Mm -hmm. I love the attention. I love the, (laughs) the, the joy of seeing the numbers, you know, go up, right? It's that very, Mm -hmm. uh, lizard brain numbers are going higher. (laughs) This is great. You know, and I understand, like, I, I think it was, um, Tyler on the most recent episode that he was on talking about the anxiety, uh, oh no, it was Adam, uh, of, of having the app on your phone and having Mm -hmm. it ding every time, because you used to get those in email form back in the day. Like you would get an email every time someone did anything with a pledge and your Mm -hmm. inbox would be flooded and -hmm. you would have, you could potentially have those feelings of, Oh no, what did I do? They they don't like me anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 10, 10 Kickstarters deep now. I have developed the internal mechanisms to cope with that. And I Mm -hmm. completely understand why newer designers might come to the Kickstarter model and go, I should give this a try and then feel those feelings and go never again, Yeah, you know, or have a really bad backer interaction with these super backers, which is a topic for any number of other shows Yeah, and, and go this entitled prick does not deserve to treat me this way. Mm-hmm. Right. And all those things are true. I am uniquely positioned to be able to handle that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I have learned how to do that. Um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I'll leave that to someone else to decide. But it means that I don't have a lot of the in- inherent problems with Kickstarter that someone else does. I see what the problems are, but I either know how to navigate them or they don't bug me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but the idea of what stretch goals do I need to have? Yes, Kickstarter is definitely incentivizing you to stretch yourself way too thin. Mm-hmm. You don't have to. You, you just don't. You can set up a project that is, I need $5,000 to, pro- to make this thing happen, and every other red cent is going to me. Yeah, full um, stop. Yep. The, the, the Paper Arcade uh, Kickstarter is an, is an equity-based project. Every single person on the project is getting paid the exact same amount. Mm-hmm. That means when I quoted the artist to do the cover and the, the sort of title pages for the four games, mm-hmm. when that number was $1,500, I went, okay, everyone's getting 1500 bucks. That makes the goal eleven five. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's high. Who knows if we'll hit it? I really hope we do, but I believe in that model and there are no stretch goals. Every dollar past the goal gets split six ways. Yeah. And we all just get more money. Thank you for giving us more money. We really appreciate it. You know, so 
with the Patreon model that I described, it is a way for me to take the work I was going to do anyway and to get support from people who just dig the work that I do to incentivize me putting out new content on a regular basis because I not only get to uh, maybe draw people into the Patreon with the idea of, well, hey, for a much smaller amount of money, you can get this thing that I'm making. Like I just released a, a module for Fate that's a magic system that I came up with a few years back. I polished it up, laid it out, ready to go. I've gotten seven new patrons for... Uh, an extra, what, 15 bucks a month or something, depending on how mm. that all broke down. Pretty good. Not bad. 15 bucks yeah. a month is solid. But I've also uh, sold six copies of it on Itch and 16 on DriveThruRPG for seven bucks a pop. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels a little bit like having my cake and eating it too, but it gives me a way to target multiple channels of interest. Yes. Right. Fate is fate's not a trad game, but evil hats an established company at this point in time. And it's a much more known quantity now, 10 years or eight years after the fate core Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So like drive through RPG makes a lot of sense why it's selling better there than it is on itch. You know, Mm -hmm. people on Mm -hmm. itch aren't looking for fate stuff. People on drive through are so, I just all I did was toss the link up, right? And and if, if people are are searching for fate things on Drive Through RPG, they're going to find my stuff because of how that tagging system works. You know, people on Itch mm-hmm. are seeing it because oh, it's a new thing on Itch. They don't necessarily care that it's for fate. Maybe they do, you know. But by putting my stuff in both places, I can let those internal mechanisms of both places just function and do their thing, and I get what sales out of them that I get. Um, so. Sales from drive-thru, sales from itch, long-term stuff from Patreon, like that feels pretty good. And all I did was release something I was going to do anyway and market it the way that I always would. I just include three different links in my tweet threads. Yeah. You know, Uh, it's much lower pressure. It's what's the reason why I'm so attracted to it is because I watch a lot of these entrepreneurial YouTube shows, one specifically called The Future uh, with Christo and a bunch of other uh, collaborative members of that team. But in that circle, there is a big conversation. He always harps on value pricing. Mm -hmm. So it's about, especially when you're a creative, what is your product worth to another person and also to yourself, right? And what he means by that is that, you know, you are the dungeon is going to be worth something different to me. It's going to be worth something different to it's, it's also like um, the way people might tip at a restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's really stretching the buck and is, but wanted to go out and do something nice for themselves may not tip anything. And that's no slight against them because that's the value of that meal to them. They wanted it so much that they're willing to spend sort of their last few cents or dollars extra that they have budgeted and do that on the other end of the spectrum. There is a person who probably makes a ton of money that will still not tip a large amount because they feel entitled or they feel like this this uh, product is below them. And then, you know, there's someone like me who's worked in the industry who just does 30 percent flat no matter what the bill is like. That's just my go to. And so uh, what's interesting about your model is this like modularity and this diversification both for yourself, but also for the consumer, right? Mm-hmm. If someone is paying attention to your Patreon, I think, I think what you said about having something where it 
creates the fans that allow that it creates the fans that want to talk about you. It's like, Hey, you know, I know, uh, their games are over on itch or they're over on drive through, but they're offering their games at like, you get them all for a dollar or $5 or $10, whatever the value is to the person they're bringing in. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what's really cool about that concept is that you create this, this flex mode, right? There's someone who may look at a game on your itch, and it's $25, so that's a little too steep for me. But then you say, hey, come check out my Patreon, where you can get it all for a buck, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're of the altruistic mindset, when I get enough patrons, which is also for you a way to say, like, when I'm making this much money a month, mm-hmm. I can produce this thing, right? If I'm making $75 a month, I'm willing to put in some extra effort for this thing that you've all been asking for, right? Yeah. Yeah, It. And it, it lets me hit all my different customers, if you will, mm-hmm. in different ways. Mm-hmm. Because You Are the Dungeon's another great example, right? Like I, I said that the Fate Supplement uh, sold twice as many on DriveThruRPG as it has so far on Itch. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, what, 86 paid downloads of You Are the yeah. Dungeon on Itch? I've had 10 on DriveThru. And someone yeah. left a comment that said, what what is this? What kind of game is this? Why are there no page previews enabled? If you How want my hard earned PDF, if, if you want my hard earned $10, cause you can leave comments without buying stuff on, on drive through. If you yeah. want my hard earned $10, <laughs> you're going to have to give me more than that. And I'm sitting over here going, okay, bro, it's not the game for you. That's fine. Like, yeah, cool. Great. I've got, you know, 86 people over here on this other platform that think it's dope as hell. So, you know, you can jog on. Um, yeah, but it, it lets me, because I make a bunch of different kinds of things, it lets me target those things without having to target them, right? I just put them on both venues and let them run free. Yeah. And, you know, with Itch specifically, there's the tipping system built in. Like, I've had people pay two or three times the asking cost of a PDF because, like you said, that's what it's worth to them. Right. Um. And that's, that's beautiful. And that's where the, like when it turns into a pay what you can title for war of metal and bone, people will see the suggested price. They'll see, because I'll give a history of it. Like this was originally released and blah, blah, blah. Here's what the game is. Here are the changes that I made to it. When my Patreon link got to a certain, right. Just you, you tie everything into the synergistic way and it lets people interact with them financially in ways that are most beneficial to them, yep. all of which benefits me. Yep. And it, I feel so much less stressed about all of this because mm-hmm. I just get to do what I want to do and funnel it all through the places that I funnel it and let the, the joy that I have of creating infect what I do rather than being like, Oh, I have to, I have to do this in a certain way or it's not going to hit the, no, bump that I can do mm. what I want as long as I'm adhering to my standards of quality, yeah. which are, which are pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're going to get a certain level of thing when I make it. Mm-hmm. And that level is only going to go up as time goes on, as I learn how to do more things and mm-hmm. I get better at this. Cause I hope to continue to keep getting better at this. It, it works really, really well for me. It makes me happy to think about because mm-hmm. already a weekend I'm seeing the knock on effects from it. Like it, it's functioning already. The engine yeah. has already started to, to turn 
And it's wonderful to see that. And, you know, you know uh, what's also what I also want to point out here is that in no way have you devalued your games, right? Like mm-hmm. on itch still 20 bucks, eight bucks, 25 bucks, 10 bucks, whatever the value of the game is for you, right? Whatever work mm-hmm. you feel is the value of putting into it. And what you just create is another option that would have been a pay what you want anyways, but it's also, it's also controlled pay what you want, right? Like mm-hmm. you're not saying give me $2 or $3. You're saying like one, three, five, 10, 25, 50, right? Like those are your yeah. options. It's not anything in between, which is still sort of a controlled environment for you, which is important. Um, and I don't know. It's just like there's just something about this that doesn't like you said, doesn't really feel like a race to the bottom, because if you have a person who only knows you through drive through uh, and also quick tangent, I think it's smart to recognize that when you engage a certain um, system in terms of design, like hack it, like hacking fate, hacking D&D, hacking uh, Numenera, hacking all, all those sorts of things and putting them in sort of their appropriate places, recognizing that, like, this game is a game that's lived on drive-thru RPG for the last 20 years. So you're probably going to see a good amount of sales from there, and they're not trying to go to itch to find that product, right? So I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. Uh, But what's really nice about this entire system is that it doesn't devalue your content. It doesn't devalue your brand, right? Because Mm -hmm. you don't want people to come to you as the if we're all talking honestly about our own businesses and careers, we never want to be the cheap option, right? Cause the cheap option doesn't really sustain you, unfortunately. Right. So, um, you're presenting a lot of ways that both maintain a certain level of lifestyle for you, you know, your family, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, the place, the area in which you live for whatever reasons you live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's all important to take in consideration when you're making these, uh, these pieces of content. And I, this model is interesting to me because I'm also very like dif- diversifying mind kind of person. Like I don't need to live in one buy space like I don't feel like I need all my games to live on a web page and itch like that's not going to be the end I feel like I can supplement a lot of these tools to find different avenues for people who feel comfortable uh, donating on Patreon or who feel comfortable Mm -hmm. donating on Ko-fi or who feel comfortable donating on uh, third party websites that are up and coming right the role marketplace uh, multiverses marketplace all those things all those other virtual tabletops roll 20s marketplace right mm-hmm. like figuring out how to put that those are all places with different audiences that are not always cross pollinating exactly. you are you are the cross pollinating factor right Tracy right. is Jeremy yeah. is. And, and that can be an intimidating place to be, right? Like one of your past two guests talked about how Kickstarter focuses on the creator being the reason that a, that a game funds, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Kickstarter driving things toward that. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing to think about. But given, again, that we're all functioning under capitalism, mm-hmm. right? This is a way that I have found that allows me to function as a brand Right to have a model that I can say here's here's my stuff here's how my stuff works mm. that doesn't make me feel gross yeah right I have no problem asking for money I I have not for most of my life right uh, there have been times in years past where we've had some real financial hardships and I've had to literally say hey this is my PayPal link please if you can and I've had people support 
support that. And that's been humbling to see, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be like that all the time. That's not, that's not a comfortable place to exist. Yeah. This is because I am relatively certain I'm not going to stop making stuff. I really like doing this, this mm-hmm. kind of thing. I have a stable floor of freelance work that's going to provide me reliable monthly income, right? I do other freelance projects helping consult on Kickstarters or edit games or do layout or all of the above for, for people, right? So those are, are, are big pops of money that help a lot too. But those aren't guaranteed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that freelance work, you know, there's, there's gaps between. You're not always working on a project necessarily, but I want to keep making stuff. So this is, I'm, I'm hoping this becomes the sustainable engine for me to do this, you know, and it, it ties into getting followers on, on Twitter, for example, right? Mm -hmm. That's my platform of choice. And I'm, again, I'm lucky. I've been on Twitter for 12 years now Mm -hmm. and actively looking to be present for like the last nine. And so like I'm at 3,600 plus followers, right? Mm-hmm. It's a sizable following. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a statistic some five years back that, that was like, if you have more than 500 Twitter followers, you're in the top 1%, right? Like, well, <laughs> yeah, you think, and you think about like, oh, 500 isn't that much. Well, I mean, comparatively speaking, to, mm-hmm. it, it is, you know, so I, I've gotten what, like, uh, see, I, I love having, I'm a semi numbers person, right? I love numbers. So like in the past 28 days on my Twitter analytics page, I have gained 20 new followers. Amazing. Right. And it's just because I'm, and some of this is contextual, right? There's a lot of stuff that's going really well in my life right now. I am Mm -hmm. absolutely the outlier because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Things are so difficult for so many people things are going great in my life right now. Mm-hmm. And that's being reflected in how I interact online. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't have to, to put on a persona to like be positive and encouraging and engage in good faith. Like I'm just doing that because I can right now. And it's great. Yeah. There's going to be a time that comes where I'm not going to be able to, and then it's going to be harder work, but mm-hmm. I'm seeing it pay off because I've laid a lot of groundwork, you know, for it to pay off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm using connections that I've worked really hard to, to build and skills that I've worked really hard to gain. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm relatively certain that I've been doing this longer than anyone you've had on before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a really different perspective. Um, I don't want anyone to think that I take these current successes for granted, right? There's a, um, an old adage that to become an overnight success, you have to have spent 10 years like getting there. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot that is paying off from years of having put in the time and the work and making huge mistakes. Mm -hmm. I have fucked up so many times doing this interpersonally, financially, like I have just absolutely biffed it a number of times, but I haven't given up, right? I've, I've wanted to find ways to make this a functional, sustainable thing. And I've wanted to find ways to improve myself as a person. And those things are all aligned, right? I'm working on making sure that they stay aligned 
because I'm on the verge of getting the life that I've always wanted. Like I get to work from home in RPGs and podcasting. We're on the verge of buying the house that we're renting and I get to be a parent. I get to be a non-binary dad in like two months, two and a half months. Like it's a fairy tale. It, I, I don't, it's amazing. And I, I want to always acknowledge how long it was before it got to happen and how lucky I, I lucky is not the right word, but it kind of is how lucky I am to be in this position because you don't necessarily get to do this in the world we live in. Like I've got privilege working for me 100%, but like I've also put in a lot of work and a lot mm. of time and, you know, have beaten the shit out of myself emotionally a number of times regularly, <laughs> you know? Um, so if there is a trend, since that's what this segment technically is, that I want to speak into the world, it mm. is to I want everyone who does this kind of thing to hopefully find a way that being their authentic genuine selves out in the world yields the kinds of results that I'm lucky enough to be seeing right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a process to figure out who you are. I didn't make my first game until I was 32. Mm-hmm. Right? I started way late by comparison. Like Possum Creek Games, Jay Dragon is 23 goddamn years old. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to see what Jay and Grub are doing. The, mm-hmm. the games are just gorgeous. And I am happy that I can say that because four years ago, I would have had almost, uh, getting around the professional, professional jealousy would have been almost impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a process. It takes time to grow into the kind of person you want to be. And if you are self-aware and you are doing that work younger, fucking bless you because you are going to be so much better off than you would have otherwise. I, I dicked away 12 years <laughs> plus mm-hmm. being uh, just a garbage person in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And I am now so much closer to the per- kind of person that I want to be. And I found this this method, this, this formula that seems like it's going to work. And I hope that if you listen to a lot of the discourse about itch funding or Kickstarter or Patreon or Kofi or whatever it is, whatever, whatever model, right. I hope you find one that works for you. That doesn't break your spirit because Mm -hmm. that's that kind of thing, taking that kind of impetus forward in your life, right? When these platforms go away, there's go- that's going to breed a resiliency in you that allows you to work to better things, right? Like how itch funding is a, a, and degreening are ways that people are trying to get out from underneath Kickstarter. Fantastic. I don't know if it's going to work for me, but I love that other people are doing it because they are ahead of the curve. They're ahead of the crash of Kickstarter, Cause it's going to go away eventually, you know, mm-hmm. 
but you're going to find ways to continually adapt and improve. And I hope for all of our sakes that part of that improvement is the tearing down of capitalism because (laughs) we all need to not exist under this oppressive mode of reality. It's a big, big thing, but boy, is that a trend I would like to see happen. (laughs) Tracy, welcome to, I think I'm going to smash together both uh, Diners, Dives, and Dungeons. Nope, I messed that up. I'm trying to open it for the exact title. Diners, Dungeons, and Dives. Did mm-hmm. I do it right the first time? Nope. No. Okay, cool. <laughs> That's, That's okay. what I thought. Uh, <laughs> but also the TLDR tip because... So give 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 a brief exam, uh, introduction of DD&D. Diners, Dungeons, and Dives is a campaign frame that you can apply to any type of RPG that you are using that reframes what you're doing as a road movie reality show wherein you are filming an episode of a fantasy version of diners, drive-ins and dives featuring, featuring everyone's favorite guy Fietti. Um, so yeah, it, it's basically a, a way to kind of do that. It's just a lens to look at your campaign through mm-hmm. to do that kind of thing with no mechanical underpinnings at all. Right. It's yep. all thematic. Yep. Um, what's very cool about this game is something I've been thinking about recently producing as well and why I'd also sort of because you're a writer uh, as well as a game designer. In theory, so, I have I have written and published a novel. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you have done it. You are a writer. You are a confirmed writer, at least in my eyes. It's all Fair relative. Enough. Yeah. Um, but you do a lot of framework style uh, system building as well. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to this game and the tip, I've been thinking about producing something that's I do a lot of research on like narrative design, like plot structure, things, uh, you know, the midpoint reflection, the three act structure, the five act structure, the seven act structure, the hero's journey, the Dan Harmon. I I really hope you weren't going to say hero's journey, but you did. It's okay. It's it. Listen, it exists out there. There's three different versions of it and it is a narrative structure. may not be the best one, but I, what I want to do is make something that sort of reframes it to RPGs and says, Hey, if you're looking to do this style of game, here's like the minimum number of sessions you're looking and what do you need to accomplish with the players over the course of this? Yes. Right? So that's the kind of product I want to produce. I'm and over here just nodding vigorously. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, Dan Harmon's story circle is eight s- steps long over like a TV episodic thing. You can accomplish the whole thing in one se- session. It's like a perfect one shot framework to work off of right Mm -hmm. or the hero's journey has like 38 steps in its truest form or what 64 i don't know i didn't read the thousand faces and i don't care i read the christopher vogler version that has like 32 steps or whatever uh but you know that's gonna be a lot more sessions to try and get under your belt so talking about diners and dungeons and dives and how it's like a focal zoom in to use for really Almost you could use it for really any campaign or setting. It doesn't mm-hmm. just have to be tavern style adventures. Right. Um, what do you think about when you think about these framework games? What do you think you have to provide to the players of the game when you're when you're thinking about writing this or constructing this? What do you know you have to include? What's the baggage that comes with thinking about creating a framework game? So I think that it's a matter of buy-in and theme, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
it's a way to get everybody on the same page. And this is a, a huge reflection of the group that I play with, right? This is the group that dove into running a tavern in Dragon Heist. So mm-hmm. the idea of framing what we're doing as going to film an episode of a reality TV show is like bread and butter for us. That's mm-hmm. it, It's great. So you have to know that for whatever specific framework you are going to write, it is specific. It's not a universal application. This is not mm-hmm. going to work for every group, nor should it. Mm-hmm. So you're looking to tap into things that work for the people you are around, or you're looking to provide something for that audience of people, right? This is for people who like uh, road-style reality, quote-unquote, TV, where you that involves food. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a it's a it's a pretty specific kind of thing, but that's okay. It's what I I wanted to make. Mm-hmm. The other thing that is helpful and that you sort of touched on with the the narrative structure is I am a huge huge fan of figuring out with my group at a, on a meta textual level what is the end goal of all of this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When when we are go- when you're going into this villain's lair. What do you want to accomplish? Mm-hmm. More, more than what you want to accomplish, what's the final outcome you all want to have happen at this table, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you want to make sure that you secure this thing? Fantastic. As the game master, I'm going to make sure you do that. We know you're going to succeed. The mm-hmm. question is how, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Some of my favorite sessions with this particular group have been all flashback sessions, like, that's how we handle mm-hmm. heists, because mm-hmm. Dragon Heist has no heists in it. <laughs> Not a one. So, <laughs> Don't get so, me started, dude. Well, so, so, we, so we made some heists, right? <laughs> they decided they wanted to, to have a score. So they knew that they were going to steal some Omnian fire wine, some, some bullshit I made up, right? Mm-hmm. And they got to like they actually did the boost they got it into a a magical wagon and they hid it someplace i then fast forwarded i said okay it's two days later you all have i said how much fire wine do you have on you right now two days after you hid it someplace so you could get the heat off you and they said oh we've got you know uh, a barrel and a half left of the 10 and i'm like okay cool what we're going to do now for this session is figure out how you only have a barrel and a half left Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was awesome. We got to do, we got to go and frame scenes and we're like, okay, well we have three more barrels to get rid of. How are we going to do that? What's the, what's the funniest way to handle that shit? Uh-huh. And, wow. and that's what we did. Right. So when you're providing a framework for somebody, it's okay to say, here's your episode structure, right? You're going to have your intro bit. You're going to have this segment. You're going to have this meeting with this guest. You're going to have this. And the episode ends here. Mm-hmm. Sweet. You now have a structure you can speak into. You can breathe into this and let it breathe back. And you've got a give and take that may, yeah, you, you, you're on camera. You've got to finish the show, but you might have a black eye and three broken teeth, you know, but like, how are you going to get there is a very important question. And I think that a lot of groups struggle with the idea because there's this really trad idea of, oh, God, we can't metagame. The players can't know anything about the overall plot. Screw that. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. want the players to help me figure out what the elements of the plot are. Mm-hmm. But it's just the elements, right? It's, it's just 
the the tent poles, if you will. It's kind of like my world building thing. What are the things we know specifically need to happen? We need to have a big knockout fight here. We need to have this over here. We need to have this bit over here. And the ending needs to look like this. Cool. Let's all figure out how that happens. Mm-hmm. And it gives you things to aim for. Even if you don't hit them right on, you have still constructed something collaboratively that gives a lot more satisfying things to your players because they're not hoping you hit their desires for a session. Mm-hmm. You're going to hit them because you ask them what they are. Yeah. Right. It, it would, it's, this is going to be a weird analogy. If you're, if you're younger, close your ears. It would be like trying to have sex with someone without asking them what turns them on. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? <laughs> Just guess. <laughs> Yeah, that, just that, floundering around in the darkness. Yeah, it's like here. Here is my idea of what we're going to be doing, and yeah. you're like, I, I hope you dig this. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, you have a conversation about what works and what doesn't, and mm-hmm. what everyone's expectations are. Mm-hmm. This is not, and 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 especially when consent is a must, right? Mm-hmm. To carry this metaphor forward, you have to go and make sure that everyone's on the same page. Everyone's still buying in. Everyone is, is down with what's with what's happening. I think a lot of RPG advice gets boiled down to this kind of thing, but you assume it only happens once, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the top of the campaign, what everybody wants, what are, you know, what kind of stories do we want to tell, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You have, you can have that check in every session, right? Yeah. Cause these are people you're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, in the, in the times when we were playing in someone's dining room, we would all get together and be like, I'd be like, okay, how's everyone feeling tonight? Where's everyone's energy level? You know, um, there are times when we would just scrub the session and hang out because we're not feeling it. Um, when we were recording the audio, like there is something incumbent about being on for the session. And so sometimes I'll say, Hey, we need to get this episode out. We're just going to go for an hour. We're going to get this done. And, and then we end up going a little bit longer because it's working, right? People know mm-hmm. there's an end point. They know that they're, this isn't going to last four hours, right? You're setting expectations up front. And, and making a framework is all about doing that and presenting that framework to uh, someone else in a, in a textual form so they can look at it and go, cool, is this framework going to work for my group? You know, it's, 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 just, it's about setting and meeting expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's my... Like it applies not just to framework games, but it's it's any game, right? You want to tell people what the experience is going to be like. That's part of how you sell a thing. You know, you want to know what you're going to get out of this, and so you have to build that stuff into your game in the text. You have to make sure your mechanics bend toward evoking that kind of experience. That's why D and D, functionally speaking, isn't. Uh, it's a game, but it's also not. Mm-hmm. It's a method of interacting with fiction that you all are creating as you're playing. Mm-hmm. But the mechanics of the game don't incentivize many things except for hitting monsters over the head until their golden XP come out. Yeah. Does um, it have HP? I don't care about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like the mechanics don't bend towards telling a certain kind of story. Mm-hmm. You have to make those decisions on your own. Games like Apocalypse World, 
they tell a specific kind of story and you are to run it in a specific kind of way or you're not running Apocalypse World. And that can mm-hmm. seem pretty prescriptive and prohibitive, but there's nothing wrong with not running Apocalypse World. Vincent Baker is just telling you in the text, look, I'm being explicit about this. Mm-hmm. This is how this game functions. If you want to run this game, do it this way. Mm-hmm. It's fine if you deviate, just know you're not playing Apocalypse World. And people took a lot of umbrage with that statement back in the day. I mm-hmm. think now people get that a lot more readily. Like, games are procedural things. If you follow the procedures, you're going, you should get a reliable outcome. Yeah. In yeah. terms of experience and, and time spent. If you don't follow the procedures, expect things to go weird. And if your game doesn't have procedures to follow, then it's just a, it's, it's something else. D&D is a something else at this point in time. I think 4th mm-hmm. edition had all that stuff. 4th edition said, here's how you do a narrative arc. Here are different kinds of players. Here are the roles they're going to occupy. These are what these roles do. This is the kind of experience you're going to get when you play a striker or when you play a, a, a controller or whatever. And the D&D community hated it, mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. and large. You know, because it's not D&D. D&D was always just a different kind of thing. Yeah. And games, you know, I think there's room, obviously, for different kinds of things. D&D is wildly successful, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You can make games that are different kinds of things. I think Numenera is a different kind of thing. I don't think the mechanics really speak to that. Fate, like, there's... Fate is a little bit more intentional, right? Because when you invoke an aspect and spend a fate point, you get a mechanical thing for it. Mm-hmm. So if you want to highlight these narrative things that are true about you or about the environment you're in, there's a mechanical engagement with that. That really works for me, right? That's, that's part of why I dig that system so much. So fate tells you not what the thematic experience is going to be like, but that the mechanical experience is going to reinforce the narrative things that are true and vice versa. So that that's like, a gray area that works really well because if you're ready to bring your own themes, you can find them reinforced. Mm -hmm. (coughs) But a lot of indie games focus really, really hard on what's the experience I want. Let's figure out how to get there, be it emotional, experiential, what have you. And you have to decide if you want your game to do that kind of thing. It has to be set up to do it. That sounds reductive, but like, it's true. If mm-hmm. you have a die roll for the sake of a die roll, what is the die roll actually telling you? Mm-hmm. If you have a die roll that functions to engage a, a bit of mechanical narrative uh, goodness that you've created, cool, you now know what that die roll does. And you know whether or not you need it in your game. It's not mm-hmm. just there for the sake of games needing to have some type of randomization in them. Mm-hmm. There's two things. Two, two things that I think this all boils down to is one um, make it obvious I think what D&D doesn't do is it doesn't make it obvious Mm -hmm. the other thing is specificity so like you don't (laughs) you don't go into a movie guessing what it's going to be like the trailer has you know the back of the book has presented a certain sort of style of movie to you, and that is what you're getting. Now, sometimes M. Night Shyamalan or, like, uh, uh, 
oh shit, what's his name? Torino? No, Toronto? No. Tarantino? Oh. Thank you. There it is. Tarantino. Toronto. Totinos. Everyone is rolling over in their chairs right now. Totinos. Um, I love his pizza rolls. Yeah. <laughs> they, you know, what did I, what did I watch? Water dance? What was that water movie? The Shape of Water? The Shape of Water. Thank you. Trailer? Made it look like a thrilling monster movie. I didn't know it was going to be a love story. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had no idea. Uh that's an example of sort of twisting that expectation. But generally, uh, what I'm saying is that there needs to be an obviousness and a specificity because at the end of the day, you're trying to provide an experience. And if that experience is cloudy, there can be a lot of mixed messages at the table, during mm-hmm. purchase, in consumption. Uh, you know, in the example of D&D, it is not a specific nor obvious game in that it is not obvious or it's not trying to obviously present itself as a war game. Ultimately, it is a war game. You mm-hmm. are enacting the miniatures to operate on a, you know, on a grid system and initiate attacks that deal with HP and experience. Uh, all of the role play is heavy lifted by the players. Mm-hmm. It is also not a specific thing while taverns and things are um, present in sort of like that style of trad gaming. They've brought to the table um, guilds of of Ravnica, they've brought Theros, they've brought, you know, Sword and Sandals, sci-fi, they try to introduce sci-fi adventures with the, um, ooh, Kalesh Laboratory, that may not be mm-hmm. the word for it, but it's like, this is a jetpack, figure it out, you know what I mean? Yeah. But but the game isn't really structured to help you with that sort of genre, so it lacks both obviousness and specificity in the terms of, like, other games, like when I think about Blades in the Dark, as very obvious mechanics, you're dealing with stress and harm and coin. And like, it tells you like this, these are the things the game cares about because these are the things you're going to be receiving as a reward loop. It's also specific. This is industrial revolution, uh, Victorian era with ghosts. You know, you've mm-hmm. seen Penny Dreadful, you've seen, uh, mother, uh, mother effing Peaky Blinders. You've seen, uh, Crimson Peaks. Those you, are the, you've it, played it Dishonored. Yeah, you've played exactly. You've played Dishonored. You know exactly what you're going to rip into. So, like, I think when we talk about frameworks, framework games, or really, like, creating a powerful thematic in the first place, I think these two things that you've been talking about are creating obvious mechanics that tie into that theme and creating specific mechanics that tie into that theme. And those Mm -hmm. two things act as pillar for the design. Exactly. And if you do that with your game, you don't need my framework. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's why that's why Dungeons Diners and Di- or yeah, uh, I see I almost messed it up. Dunge- Dungeons <laughs> Diners and Dives works is because it provides obvious specificity to a game that does not have it by nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it's I, I in fact what I'm probably going to do at some point in time is revise Dungeons Diners and Dives into its own game. Mm-hmm. Because at this point in time in my design career, I am uninterested in, in providing specificity to D&D 5e. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like playing it with my group because it's my group and it's a lingua franca for us, right? Yeah. We don't need to learn new mechanics. We know how to run it, so we like it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it, it's it's easy for us because mm-hmm. we just do that together. We play other stuff too, but like D&D is always simple for us. Um, I'm not necessarily interested in trying to change the way that other people play D&D. 
Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, I think it's a cool concept. I'm glad I came up with it. I'd also just kind of like to make it its own game about yeah. being a delicious dungeon-esque fantasy, like, food crawl. Like, yeah. that sounds really neat to me. So, at some point in time, I'm probably going to revise it and keep the same name. But I, I love that. I want it. I've always wanted to play, like, what was it? I wanted to play Order of the Mutant Blood Hunter, Matt Mercer's thing, but I wanted to play as, like, a lizard folk chef. Who just mm-hmm. went to places and like chopped up monsters and ate them. And that was the mutagens. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's yeah. like that kind of thing is a lot of fun, a lot of fun to do. And I think that food type food based stories touch on a lot of cross cultural things. Yep. Everyone loves food. Everyone loves to bring their own food traditions to the table, you know? And so everyone gets to sort of speak into this. Even if you're someone who just orders pizza, cool. You play a techie who always is not interested in the food that's being made for the show. You're trying to find the closest takeout joint. Fantasy DoorDash. Let it rip. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, yeah, but but in general, the the tip becomes if you want your mechanical thing you're designing to be a toolkit that people can place whatever thematic lens over it they want to, fine and good. I don't know that the landscape really supports that as like a commercially viable thing mm-hmm. nowadays because the only reason D and D and Pathfinder get away with it is because of tradition because mm-hmm. they're established things. Mm-hmm. Um, same goes for a lot of the other big RPGs like the system behind call of Cthulhu doesn't incentivize going on an investigation. You're just doing it because the game says to, and you're rolling yeah. percentile dice Shadowrun doesn't incentivize going on a shadow run. You're just rolling massive pools of D sixes and doing a lot of math, yeah. right? The system <laughs> doesn't reinforce what's happening. Fate is, like I said, on the edge of that. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm, I'm harvesting things that I like about fate for some of the other stuff that I'm doing because I want certain kinds of stories to be told. Fate mm-hmm. accelerated as presented in Dresden files, accelerated has a lot of stuff that helps you tell the kind of story you want to tell because conditions as a mechanical piece are on off switches for these kinds of specific narrative things happening all the time. Mm -hmm. It works really, really well. I love it. It's my favorite iteration of traditional fate. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it with Ironetta accelerated. I cribbed that entire setup. Um, So like if you want, your game to to evoke certain feelings or uh, have certain experiences happen, I think you have to at least start from the same kind of place fate does, where you have mechanical things that if, that bump into the narrative and create feedback loops, mm-hmm. right? Where you're reinforcing the kinds of experiences you want to see happen at the table. That's the the furthest out starting point from like obvious specificity. Mm-hmm. If you are really wanting to make a specific kind of thing, and I think that like the heart of this are lyric games, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which are so obvious and so specific that you are often not portraying a character. You are often not engaging with mechanics aside from physically or mentally doing the thing the game tells you to do. Mm-hmm. Like... There's a game that Taylor LaBresh and Adira Slattery wrote that is called Draw a Square on the Ground and Stand in the Middle of the Square and Yell Sex is Here. That's the game. It is obvious, it is specific, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. 
right? <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. You're, you're you're going to get a reliably repeatable experience. <laughs> I I am in love. I didn't know it existed. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. Uh, and and you've talked about a dearest chair before, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The the explicit details of the experience are not going to be the same, mm-hmm. but the obvious and repeatable experience is terror for you and any observers when the mm-hmm. chair won't let you go. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think like that's your, your framing of this, of things as needing to be both obvious and specific is brilliant because for the first time since I've been playing games or working on them, there's a continuum of games that this describes that encompasses all of gaming a hundred percent of it. Cause it goes all the way from less obvious and less specific in D and D and these other mechanical machines that don't mm-hmm. functionally do much mm-hmm. all the way down to standing in a square that you've drawn on the ground and yelling sex is here. <laughs> but, but lyric games live in that space. They're mm-hmm. hyper obvious and hyper specific. Mm-hmm. And most of games fall somewhere in between yeah. all of that. In fact, I would, I would literally argue that all of games fall somewhere uh, on that spectrum. Yeah, as you sort of point out, I imagine like this X, Y axis situation of like how obvious or specific is a game in terms of its thematics or what it's trying to make happen here. And, you know, that's what's important to also say about this is that the uh, game design is still an art form at like the very mm-hmm. end of the day. And so the projections that people put on those art forms are going to be different. There may be some people who disagree with how obvious or specific I think D and D or Pathfinder is. They may say, you know, they may be in love with Pathfinder and say, well, it does this thing specifically. And then how specific is that? And the point is that I think that we're both trying to make here is that this is a, a gray scale, a gradual scale that can sort of, uh, encompass those two things and help guide your design intentions. Right. Yeah. If you want a game that's very like loose and narrative. It may have very obvious mechanics, but it may not be specific, right? It may, mm-hmm. uh, I think for me, I would call fate very obvious. Like from what I've read about fate, I would say it's like highly obvious, but like lower specific, you know, it has mm-hmm. lots of plugin tools for you to make using aspects and conditions and things like that. hundred percent. Where as I would call, Numenera very specific, but it doesn't have very obvious like uh, gears to engage those things with. You know, there's like random. I, I I always have like a sort of bounce off where games require the GM to make up a difficulty number because mm-hmm. that's going to be different depending on who's projecting onto the game, right? Where as I prefer games that are like. If this is the thing that is present here, it is a two difficulty. There is no question. Everyone knows what they're engaging with here, mm-hmm. right? That's very specific. Uh, whereas I think games that that sort of have this imaginated difficulty uh, are not very obvious in mechanical nature. Yeah, I, I think if you're talking about an XY spectrum, you're talking about uh, obvious uh, and specific on one side or mm-hmm. You have obviousness, you have specificity, you also have high mechanics and you have low mechanics. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that gives you quadrants that everything can like, can fall in. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think it's good. I think that I think I'm uh, a little bit awakened here. Awakened tree spell has been cast on. Wonderful. Me. You're 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 a trant now. <laughs> I'm literally CR four. Let's go. Uh, you're, you're Jeremy Gagebeard. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, children. Uh, well, with that beautiful tip, I think that's going to bring us to the tail end of the show, the long okay. tail end of the show. Sitting at 2.15 here, pretty good, Tracy. Pretty not bad, good. not bad at all. Not bad. How long uh, can I make my outro? <laughs> <laughs> Let's fluff it up. Uh, go ahead, plug yourself, tell people, everyone, where they can find you once again. Uh, all of these show notes that they are about to provide are going to be down below with links for your access listeners. And thank you again, Tracy, for being here. Of course. Uh, thank you very much for having me as Again, I will say I am Tracy Barnett. You can find me online anywhere at the other Tracy. That is T R A C Y. That is me on Twitter. That is my website, Patreon.com/slash the other Tracy, is where you can engage with the lovely model that I provided earlier, and you can pay what you can to literally get everything that I make. You can also find me at theothertracy.itch.io, and you can buy all of my games if you prefer to support in more concrete terms. Uh, again, obvious and specific is going to itch, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obvious and unspecific is supporting me on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Right? Yeah. Uh, you can find me bouncing around the Brain Trust Discord. I uh, came there because Jeremy mentioned it on the podcast. Uh, my DMs are open. You can reach out to me. If you want uh, consultation help, I do not charge for game consultation. Uh, as long as the person is not taking too much advantage of my time, I'm happy to talk about your game on a video chat hour or so. No worries. If you want to engage my services professionally, then I uh, write, I edit, I do layout, I do art direction, I do project management, I do Kickstarter con- consulting, all that good stuff. Uh, and I am willing to talk about all of that stuff and would enjoy talking about all of that stuff with you if you have a need and you dig what I'm putting down. I think that is everything. Oh, yes. And I have a podcast called 15 Minutes of Fave, which uh, not too long after this episode, I'm going to ask Jeremy if he would like to be a guest on. Oh, Oh, maybe it happened during the episode. Look at that. (laughs) Obvious and specific. Does he have to say yes now? (laughs) Not at all. Your answer can be uh, unspecific and undefined. Tracy, you would make me the happiest man in the world. (laughs) Uh, well, then we'll work out a time for you to come on. <laughs> awesome. Uh, uh, you are yeah. here first, everyone. That's it. That's what I got. All right. Very cool. Uh, once again, everyone, thank you for coming out to this episode, for listening. I learned a ton today, and I hope you did too. And we will see you next time. Say bye to the people, Tracy. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <sighs> Jeremy okay. never gets applause, so. Aw. All right, that's a wrap. Tracy was a joy to have on the show, and this was definitely the episode to be taking notes from. All the games we talked about today, along with all the links to get in touch with Tracy, will be down below in the show notes for your access. If you liked the show and found it helpful, send a tip my way by following the link tree in the show notes to my Kofi or Venmo profiles. Or, if you are unable to provide monetary support, you can provide support at no cost by sharing this with someone you thought of while listening to this episode and leaving a review. Both of these methods greatly impact the success of this show and lets me know that what I'm doing is beneficial to designers out there. 
If you want to be a part of the conversation or hang out with the alumni from the show like Tracy, you can join the DYD House Discord server. Thanks for listening, and I will catch you next time.